0: This is the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. Moses was born during a time when Pharaoh had issued a decree that all male babies be killed upon their birth. Despite that, Moses' mother hides him and protects him until she can't do it anymore. Then she builds him a boat, puts him out on the water, and waits. We see God not only protect her baby, but do some other astounding things once she shows she's willing to give him up. If we look in the animal kingdom, we get a picture of the care that parents have for their young. Here, being, being Mother's Day, we can uh, consider... Um, that those of us who are mothers, whether spiritual mothers or, or physical mothers, uh, know that um, there's just this, this protection, the, the mama bear that comes out in uh, mothers especially to protect their young. And if we look in the animal kingdom, we see some really interesting pictures of how mothers and and parents in general will protect their young look at baby alligators and and baby alligators will carry their I mean adult alligators will carry their babies in their mouth you know that that seems like a dangerous place to be but um, I guess it works for them if we look at at uh, kangaroos kangaroos have those little pouches in front and they can keep their babies safe there i think uh humans have kind of copied this picture too and and created things that allow uh, moms and dads to to hold babies close to them if we look at orangutans orangutan mothers maintain physical contact with their babies for the entire first four months of their lives now moms think about what that would look like because um i i can't even imagine like not having a few minutes alone right and and moms who bear the burdens oftentimes imagine what that would look like to keep that that baby so close to you all the time and even after those first few months the 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 baby orangutans stay connected to their moms for i think up to two years that they'll end up nursing we think about what we do as humans as well there's this nature in us that the closer our, our young ones are, the closer our children are, the more protected they are. We, we've got special car seats that we'll make and carriages and baby Bjorns, which were big um, probably when, I had, when we had our first kid and then slings that you can put the babies in. And it seems like a logical thing that if we're to stop and think, what's the safest I can keep my kids, it's going to be like as close to us as possible. But have we ever considered that one of the safest things for us to do with the things that matter the most to us is to actually give it away? I don't think that's the first thought that any of us ever has when we think about that. Have we considered that keeping something close might actually cause more damage than, uh, than letting go of it, and actually letting go of it might protect it. And today we look at an account of a mother who came to this realiza- realization that to protect her child, the most uh, logical thing for her was to actually give that child away if you have a Bible you can turn to the book of Exodus the second book in the Bible in the second chapter of the second book in the Bible Exodus chapter 2 and we're looking at the first 10 verses in Exodus 2 reading from the new international version if you have an app you can change that easily if you don't have that version in paper format it's on the screen and uh, if you don't have it um, and do have a different version. It might, there might be a few little word changes here and there. But Starting in verse 1 of Exodus 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby, he was crying and felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And so the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. You now, if we backtrack into Exodus 1, remember that Pharaoh, Pharaoh's paranoia had overcome him because there was an abundance of Hebrews in the land of Egypt. And even though they were doing what God had instructed them to do, they were being fruitful, they were multiplying, all of a sudden this paranoid leader decides that um, he needs to vanquish all of them and kill them all, remove them all, and he sets out this decree to kill all male babies that are born. And in Exodus 1, we see that the midwives decide to rebel, and they they said, no, we're not going to do that, and they let those babies live. And here, we see that, you know, who knows, maybe the the confidence, the boldness, the courage of those midwives inspired other people, because here in Exodus 2, we see that Moses' mother decides that she's going to try to keep her baby quiet for three months. Now, just take a minute and think about that, right? Like some of us probably can't even think about keeping a baby quiet for three minutes, let alone three months. So how on earth did Moses' mother keep uh, Moses hidden for those three months? When When she took him out in public, did she put him in pink and say, hey, like you can't tell a difference? I mean, a lot of the babies that my wife and I had were bald, so you wouldn't have been able to tell a difference unless you put a little bow in their hair or whatever. Regardless, Moses' mother decides that she's going to do her best to keep him hidden from everybody else. And after those three months, she realizes I can't do this. I-, I can't hide him any longer. And so she does what most of us would do, right? She builds a boat for him and decides to put him in the river. It's interesting because the first 5 books of the Bible were all written by Moses and the only other time that we see the word that's that's in English is called a boat is in Genesis when a guy named Noah built an ark and that same word ark and boat are this they're the same thing and we think about what happened if we're familiar with the story of Noah that that God told him to build a big boat, and it was in that boat that his family came and were saved from the destruction that came. They rose and were up on the water um, away from uh, the destruction that would come. And in much the same way that a boat saved Noah and allowed for God's people to continue, so a boat saves Moses here as his mother decides that she's going to put this baby in a boat. Now, think about the Nile River too. There were other dangers in the Nile River. There were probably crocodiles and other uh, predators that could potentially kill this baby. And yet somehow or another, Moses' mother decides that this is the safest thing to keep her baby alive. Now, we don't know much. We can read between the lines here. Eventually, the line of Levi in, among the Hebrew people was the line of people who were specifically set aside to be priests and, and the, the carriers of the tasks within the temple and the tabernacle. Was Moses' mother a praying woman? I find it hard to believe that a mother could have children and not be a praying woman in some way. But um, somehow or another, Moses' mother gets this idea that the safest thing for her baby is to put it on the water and, uh, and to stick it out there and hope and pray that he lives. It seems counterintuitive, right? I, I mean, I don't think that the first thought that I would have to say, hey, I want to keep something safe, let me give it away. Especially giving it away, putting it on the water, and then hoping for the best. It just doesn't seem logical. And yet, God was in it. God was in the details, and and he preserved Moses' life. If we read through all of Scripture, there are multiple times within the Bible that we see somebody given something, And they realize that the best way for them to maintain that, to keep that, is to give it away. One of the most famous things that we probably see in all of Scripture is is the promised son of Abraham and Sarah. That they had waited and waited and they were old and gray and beyond um, old, like ancient. And God gave them a child and then... God says, hey, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. And again, logic would not tell you that this was the right thing to do when you're given this gift. Logic would not say, okay, now that I finally have this, let me go take him on a mountain and kill him. And yet, Abraham was obedient to God, listened to what he said, and just before he could sacrifice his son, God supplied an alternative for him. He had to come to this place where he would be willing to give it away, and in that willingness to give it away, God gave it back. You see, sometimes when it comes to following after God and and being obedient to what he calls us to, sometimes release leads to relief. And it, it seems illogical, It it seems incredibly hard to not only fathom, but to follow as well. To think that my release of something will actually lead to a relief of sorts. That giving something up will actually protect it more than I could in myself. I I am not good at this at all. I, I mean, it's counterintuitive to me to tell me like give up control of something and it'll be better off I'm a control freak I I can be incredibly possessive of things and material things And, and yet even when I look beyond my stuff and I look beyond to people who I care for who are closest to me that's even harder it's even harder for me to think like if I have a hard time getting rid of material things how much More so, do I just want to hold on to the intangibles in my life? Whether it's the people I love, maybe maybe it's my my job, or maybe it's my status, whatever it might be that I'm holding on to, it's counterintuitive to me to say, I'm going to give this up. And I struggle with this over and over again. When God says, hey, I want you to give this back to me, Like it's like you're prying. Ever try to take something away from a child, right? Like you're prying, trying to pry your fingers off of it because you're holding so tightly to it. But you see, God wants to avoid us making idols of things and people as well. And when we hold on to things so tightly, when we keep them so close to us, that possession uh, can easily overtake us. And we can get to this place where we think it's mine. It's mine, my own. I want to hold on to it and keep it. But sometimes God's calling us to give them up, to give them away and to entrust them to his care. And it's kind of ironic that we think, well, I need to give it up to God because like, if we think about it, it's all his to begin with. And so why are we holding on to something when we're just a steward of that anyway? We're holding on to things, and then they're taken away. The chances of us making those things idols become smaller and smaller. In verse 4 of of Exodus 2, we see that even though Moses' mother put him out on the water in this ark, in this boat... That his sister stood at a distance and she watched. And she waited to see what would happen. You know, even when we give things up to God, that doesn't mean we just walk away. And we say, okay, God, here, cheers, see ya, I'm out of here. Right? Like, peace out, I'm done. No. I don't think that's what God calls us to do. It doesn't mean that that we become disinterested in the thing that um, we've given up. I think we see this in the animal kingdom sometimes, that when when baby birds fall out of the nest or whatever, the mothers just disregard them. And God's not calling us to do that when we give something back to him. If if we care deeply about things, it's going to be hard for us to let it go. And I think we're lying to ourselves if we say it's easy to do that. If we say, oh, yeah, every time God says, hey, I want you to give this to me, I'm like, oh, here you go, there you go, that's yours. Because most of the times, at least in my life, I find that the things that God asks me to give up are not the ones that are so easy for me to do that with. It's the ones that I want to hold on to the most, the tightest that he says you need to let go of. And so it's not easy for me to do this. And Moses' sister, she watches this whole thing unfold. And then in verse 7, she's opportunistic and she swoops in. And she says, hey, I can find a Hebrew woman to nurse that baby. When we feel like God's calling us to cast something valuable on the water, do we feel like he's also telling us to just leave it to me? I, I grew up in the church and, and I can probably count on multiple hands how many bad cliches I heard in, in all those years of, of hearing people in the church well-meaning people say just dumb things at times and, and you know one of the phrases that I think I understand but I don't necessarily like is let go and let God people would always talk about well you just need to let it go and let God and I'm like what does that mean exactly? Like, th- And I don't think that that's a biblical phrase, uh, because I think that when God says, hey, I want you to give this back to me, he's not expecting us to peace out and walk away. He's saying, like, I want it, you to give this back to me, and then I want you to join me in watching how I can use this for my glory. And he's saying, if we give it back to him, then God is inviting us into his story to be an active part of it. And the story of God isn't one where we're spectators, but we're participants. God isn't saying, yeah, just dump everything on me and I'll take care of it. He's saying, hey, take care. This thing that I've given you, give it back to me, and then let's do this together. Let's journey together. Think about what that looks like from a parenting standpoint, right? To say, hey, I'm gonna give my my kids back to God. I'm not just gonna say, okay, I hope it works out for you, God. Take, uh, there are probably times, you know, that we wanna say, like, God, peace out, I'm gone. Like, you can have these things, right? (laughs) Like, take these kids. But if we're really doing what God's calling us to do, God's inviting us to be part of that, to be part of his story, and to be not spectators, but participants of that as we give things back to him. And so Moses' sister, she's there, she sees what happens. She rushes in and offers for her mom to be the one to take. Child. Now now think about how this all like only God could make something like this happen. Either God or Hollywood would script it, right? Like, but but oftentimes God's story is so much better than what we could ask or think or imagine. And here Moses' sister, what does she do? She brings the baby's mother to Pharaoh's daughter and says, here's the woman who can do it. So now the woman who had the baby originally is brought in to nurse the baby that she was nursing already and she gets paid for it, right? Like. How good of a gig would that be? Like, if any of us were approached and said, hey, give your baby up, we're going to give it back to you, you can nurse it, and you'll get paid for it. Like, wow! Like, here on a day that we celebrate mothers, how many times, like, does a mother say, yeah, I don't really get paid for what I do, but, boy, if I did, I'd be a millionaire, right? And here, Moses' mother gets to take care of this baby that, that she had to give up, and she gets paid for. She's doing what she would have been doing all along and it seems perfectly normal and she doesn't have to hide it. She doesn't have to worry about the safety of this baby that God gave her. And God's, God ends up not only saving what's been given up but he involves and includes us in a surprising way. Now, a few weeks ago we talked about surrender as we finished up our series on prayer and said that surrender isn't a defeat, but surrender is a victory when we surrender to God. And I think in much the same way that surrender is victory and not defeat, I think giving something up to God isn't loss, but it's a gain. That when we really stop and we think about what it means to give something up, when we're giving it back to God, it's not an actual loss. It's a gain. And we're gaining something in this. So have you ever been surprised like this by God? Have you ever been surprised that like when he's asked you to give something back to him, that he ends up giving it back to you and involving you in his greater story? Maybe if we haven't experienced that before, maybe if we haven't had that happen to us, it's because we never really gave that thing fully and completely up to him. Sometimes if we want to keep something alive, we need to give it away. And we need to trust that God will do something with it that will be more than we can ask or think or imagine. As we continue through Exodus, we'll see the impact of what happened here. And even though we might brush over Exodus 2 and say, okay, a baby was born, he was thrown in the river, he was saved, and he went on. But if we see how God uses Moses in the upcoming chapters, we realize how God will involve us in his story if we just give up. If we just give in and say, okay, God, I'm giving this to you, but can I be part of your story? And so what do we do with this? Well, I think one of the things that we can do uh, to apply this is, is to take an inventory. Uh, a good friend of mine has been part of Alcoholics Anonymous for a number of years and, and has mentioned to me multiple times in our conversations about one of the things that, that in Alcoholics Anonymous the members will do is take an inventory. And I, I think it's, it's a valuable thing for not just people who have struggled with alcohol and addiction, but for all of us to, to take an inventory and ask ourselves, what are the things that I'm holding on to? What are the things that I'm like clasping my hands to? The things that I'm like holding really tight, I'm putting in the pouch or the baby Bjorn or, or whatever it is and I'm saying, this is safer here than it will be in God's hands. And then, Um, realize that there's a truth in the fact that giving something up to God may actually be gain and not loss. And just like I said in the beginning of the service, that sometimes we have to tell ourselves the same thing over and over again, like, like the little engine that could in order to convince ourselves that it's true. Or to like get it into our thick heads. You know, I, I, as a, a worship leader too, I, I remember people complaining about songs and you sing the same song words over and over again. And I'm like, sometimes we have to do that because we're so thick headed that in order to get the truth in that song into our heads, we need to sing it over and over again. And so if we need to say this, and I say this a lot, if we need to write it down, put it on a fridge or a mirror, on a dashboard, wherever, put it in our backpacks, anywhere, to remind ourselves that giving something up to God does not mean it's a loss, but that it's a gain. And then the question to ask ourselves is, are we actively participating in the story of God? Are we actively joining him in this? You know, we serve a God who, who didn't just create things and say, hey, I'm going to set this in motion and I'm going to walk away. Like God saved us by becoming one of us, by incarnating and coming and walking on this earth. And that's not a God who's distant and far away. That's a God who's here, who's now and present with us. And that wasn't just For when Jesus lived, that's for now. He gave us the Holy Spirit that can reside within us. And so God wants us to be an active part in his story. And so ask yourself, am I actively participating in the story of God? And then follow up, like, if I'm not, why am I not? Does it have to do with the first two? Am I holding on to things that are keeping me from being an active part in God's story? God wants us to be part of this story. He doesn't want us to just sit back as spectators. He wants us to be participants so that we can see the glory of God in the things around us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thanks for the fact that you want to include us in your story. And God, that can be a hard thing because it requires trust because it requires patience, because it requires us to give things up. But God, remind us of the truths that we see in your word. Remind us every day, every moment, every second, because it's hard not just to remember, it's hard to hold on to those truths when so many other alternative truths are out there screaming in our ears. And so God, help us to see things through the eyes of your possession and your holding on to things and your protection over those things far greater than we could protect them ourselves. Help us to see the need to give things up to you so that you, c- you can have them, protect them, and then invite them to be part of your invite us to be part of your story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's inviting us to be an active participant in his story, not a spectator. Are we joining God in his story or are we sitting back and hoping that we can just be an observer? God calls us to release things to him and when we do that, we realize there's relief in it. What's God calling you to surrender and release to him? Do you trust him to hold on to it better than you can? Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at thebranchashland@gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. Thanks again for listening.